You are listening to the Noisy Narratives podcast, a podcast produced by the Women of First Ministries at Frisco First Baptist Church in Frisco, Texas. Here at Noisy Narratives, we like to cut through the noise of our stories and get to the heart of what really matters. We hope you are blessed by what we share. Thank you so much for listening. Isn't it amazing? Right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Noisy Narratives. You said already. I don't usually say already. No, right. you don't, but that's fine. But I've been changing it up because I was saying first and last names good. for a while. I know. So I'm working on some stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is um, Debbie and Christy, not Christy Williams, just mm-hmm. Christy, mm-hmm. Um, here today with a special guest. We're continuing our staff introductions. And so, Christy, what do you have for us today? Word of the day, joke of the day, question of the day. So I brought a prop because in our house right now, we have four kids that are waking up at all different times and the kids can't have their phones in their rooms. So I have bought alarm clocks, old school alarm clocks. Do they work? I had one kid that an alarm, he would, someone had to pound on his door. That is such a great question because (laughs) I have one that argues with me that he needs his phone by his bed because he doesn't wake up to an alarm. And then he shares a room with his younger brother. So the younger brother was like, it works. You just don't know how to use it. (laughs) And so then we have that conversation. I don't involve myself in that conversation. It's fun watching them argue. I love it. Um, But have you seen an alarm clock lately? Like we grew up with an alarm clock and it was just the, yeah, that's right. Just yeah. an alarm, the time and the alarm. Now it has like the date, the month, the temperature, all the things on it. And so I brought this because I thought, when was the last time you saw an alarm too? And we need to use alarms more, right? Because right. our phones are right. Yeah, we that, right we there. That and then if you wake up in the middle of the night, what do you do? You might check your phone, see what's going on. Maybe go to the Bible app, but more often maybe check social media yeah. or an email or Twitter, whatever. Instead, get on your Instagram. Yeah. So I challenged my oldest to use the alarm, and he said he used it. I didn't check him because I was like, I'm going to let you be a grown-up. And I guarantee you, he did not do this. It was horrible. He didn't even try because he knew he was like, well, somebody will wake me up. <laughs> so I say that, defeated. Did he even turn it on? Tomorrow. So he didn't even turn it on? I don't even think so. Like, I'm looking at it right now, and it says 12.04. And this was taken from his bed this morning. I'm going to show everybody. 12.04. And I was like, you're such a goober. And so. But he's probably the last one that has to wake up, right? Because he's the older. He's in high school. He is. And he has that late arrival, which we yeah. talked about. So he is. Brinley has to wake up like at 5.45 for volleyball. Gentry's later. Then Creighton. But I mean, come on, yeah. dude. Get it together. Yeah. But it's frontal like lobe. Those, I they're hard. Myself. Those teenage boys. Frontal yeah, lobe is sleep, not developed. It'll be fine. Joel would sleep through. I, I kid you not. We'd hear it through walls in our room. And he would sleep. It'd vibe. Oh, just totally sleep through the whole thing. Um, so did you have to like touch him to like wake like him up? Shake him? sisters would end up like pounding on his door or like waking him up. We even, <laughs> at one point, we were going to get him one of those. Um, alarm clocks that like vibrate yes yes (laughs) because it was so bad um but um he just his roommate in college his freshman year used to have to do the same thing like it would wake up sweet mates everything he's sleeping through the whole thing and his roommate has to like throw a pillow at his head joel i'm I'm glad they're still friends but (laughs) no joel appreciates you know he does because i mean he wants to get up with it he tries it just for whatever reason and we tried all different ringers we tried radio we tried i mean so it wouldn't matter if it was his phone he don't Mm. wake up to his phone either Whitaker claims he wakes up to his phone, but I'm going to call baloney. Because his brain is like in tune to what the like notifications mean. Like it goes, ooh, wake up, there's something cool. Sure. (laughs) There's something like social media picking up. It's an excuse to have his phone by his bed, I'm sure, more than Well, that is the reason, right? But we didn't let our kids do it either until until their senior year because we were like, you're about to be gone. So this is going to be your responsibility. So no, I'm not going to do it a senior year. I'm going to just it. wait till it's freshman year and figure out life, dude. <laughs> Still under my roof. Sorry, that I don't want it in there. <laughs> very much the parent, very much the parent prerogative, uh-huh. I would say. You're paying uh-huh. for it. You get to decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That was just what we went with. But we know people who do all kinds. Yeah. So I just saw the alarm clock and I thought, oh, this will be yeah. a good 
conversation point. And now you can buy all kinds. You can buy retro ones. You can buy the old Bell ones that ding mm. back and forth. That's what I had growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy all. I think there's a lot of people going back to alarm clocks. I feel like we should. Yeah. Because you should get away from your phone by your bed. It's not distraction. I mean, I sleep by my phone by my bed because it's almost a trauma thing because I missed a phone call when my brother yes. passed away that for yes. me it's like panic if I don't can't have You're it. You're afraid somebody's going to try and call you. Yes, yeah. but then I will make myself like don't check social media don't check your email in the yeah. middle of the night don't check whatever but well now hard. that i have kids away it's for sure next but, time yes Every because you want that phone absolutely. call absolutely like you just can't uh-huh. get away from it but a 17 year old boy does absolutely okay. <laughs> they're gonna that's go through you first <laughs> that's right yep, absolutely <laughs> so that's interesting well thank you for the prop yeah. thought for the day go to alarm clocks maybe people and if you find one that's just a simple one that doesn't take the date the temperature and all that let me know well and the other thing is if you're getting some from the story maybe if you let your kids have phones in their room all night maybe rethink that strategy yeah well i even thought maybe he doesn't know how to push buttons because on your phone you just swipe it up till it lands on the one or the two and then it swipes up and i thought maybe he's like i don't have patience to go from 12 to 6 remember how you have to be like this probably true he probably doesn't yeah and you're like is he too embarrassed to admit he doesn't know how to do it no, he, he's pretty good about embarrassing what he can't, I mean, admitting what he can and can't do. He has no problem with that. But I'm sure it's a patience thing. Yeah, that's probably true, too. Yeah. I could have sent four text messages. I could have snapped four times, Mom, <laughs> by that time I'm going like this. Whatever. Oh, I love your kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do, too. We have all your kids that, with us all summer long, so. Yeah, they're nuts. Yeah, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Our guest today, David Fuquay. See, I said it right, right? Yes, you did. Woohoo! Very good job. I have learned. Few. F-E-W. It's not spelled that way. Spell it no. for us, though. F-U-Q-U-A-Y. Okay. What is that? It's French. French oh. Huguenot, if you really wanted to know, oh. which is the redneck French. So, <laughs> Is that New word. Orleans? What is that? Yeah, so the French, the Huguenots were, like, expelled at some point. They went to Canada, and then they went to New Orleans. Um, so they were kind of the ones who were run out of France, so... How did oh, you know Louisiana? Uh, French. Yeah, it's all French. It's all French. Well, I know, but why would you <laughs> go to Louisiana? One of my best friends is from oh. Baton Rouge. So we've been in Louisiana quite a bit. Okay. Well, I did through college. Yeah. Okay. So, but I don't know if that, maybe that's the reason I know. I don't know. Random. Random. random anyway, finish introducing our guests. <laughs> <laughs> so um, David is our executive pastor here at Frisco First. Right. He's Christie's and my boss, so we'll try mm-hmm. to be on our best behavior. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You've been here for now six months, probably? Seven. Seven. Hitting yeah. seven, big time. Yeah. You're, you're getting over closer the to the year. <laughs> over that six-month hump. Um, and so explain a little bit to everybody so just we know before. We want to get into your testimony. Sure. Because, so people can get to know you as a person since you haven't been here very long. Right. But explain us a little bit what you do here first. Yeah, so my job really is put in a lot of different buckets. So the first bucket that I think about is uh, senior leadership. So I help lead the direction of the church along with Chuck and Mike Gould. And uh, we kind of make executive level decisions. And so that's a big deal. And then the second bucket is staff. Uh, So obviously you guys both are supervised by me, but part of my role as executive pastor is to build a team, make sure we're collaborating, make sure we communicate well, we're on the same page, but then also living out the vision and the direction that Chuck, Mike, and I have kind of set for the church. Third bucket is the business bucket, right? So yeah, yeah, we are an organization and we have to run like an organization where we have to pay bills and look over the finances and do all of the behind the scenes kind of stuff any organization has to do. We have some challenges with $4.9 million budget and uh, (laughs) really figuring that out. So there's a lot of my effort goes towards that right now. And then the fourth bucket is life groups. So I am overall adult discipleship here at Frisco First, and I have hands-on ministry with life groups. So those are kind of the four big buckets. Those are good. Are there any, uh, is there any one of those buckets you love the most, you like the most? Um, which one? I love the, the team aspect. So the staff mm-hmm. is the one that I really uh, get the most warm fuzzies from over a long period of time of just really investing in staff, developing staff, seeing staff take on new roles, but then also accomplish goals and, and work with one another. I say that hesitantly because where I'm most comfortable is probably in the life group bucket. Sure. I've done discipleship since 1991, 
And so that's really where I, I feel most at home. Oh. So. so how, wait a minute, 91. Yeah. I was wow. ask. How old were you in 91? 18. I and started how did, discipleship. So, okay. Yeah. All right. So we're going to get back to that. I'm making okay. a note of that. Great. I'm going to know how that started 18. Yeah. And so um, give us a little bit kind of where you're, where you grew up, where you're from, but also just, we want to know your testimony, like how you came, how the Lord grabbed hold of you and yeah. So I grew up in, uh, the Delta of Mississippi, a town called Greenville. Uh, it's right there on the river. And so it's where Mississippi, Arkansas, and Louisiana all joined together. And so on the Mississippi side mm-hmm. is my hometown grew up with about 60,000 people. And I think the number was around 60 or 70% of the population were under poverty. And so uh, we were considered middle class, maybe even upper middle class. And um, I have one sister that's four years older, and we were heavily involved in church. We went to a denomination called Disciples of Christ. My father was an elder. My mom was in the choir and just didn't know anything other than being at church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. And my sister got involved at the national level in the youth ministry. Uh, because we were a small church, they they did more things nationally. and I mean, statewide, not mm-hmm. nationally. And she got a scholarship to TCU. And oh, so... Horn Frogs. That's, yeah. yeah, Horn Frogs. And so she went to TCU, and then four years later, I got the same scholarship and followed her there. And that's kind of how I got out of Mississippi. But <laughs> both parents are Christian. Um, my sister is Christian, and I kind of grew up in a Christian household, although there was uh, some really rebellious rough years middle school to to high school so <laughs> yeah stretching the boundaries building your testimony a little bit pushing exactly. against that some exactly so that so did you say disciples of christ is that what you said disciples what, of what christ is, what is that i don't even so uh know the, if a lot of us know what that is yeah so most people are familiar with church of christ yes which is the conservative branch of disciples of christ so disciples of christ and church of christ used to be one movement out of the holiness movement. Um, I think that's in the 1700s or 1800s throughout the United States. And then later on, they broke over the issue of music. And so Christ... Oh, you you allow instruments, and they did not. Okay. And so the big thing with Disciples of Christ is there's no creed but Christ, which sounds really biblical, sounds like, oh, we're only going to focus on Christ. And what happens is it's a denomination, I mean, it's a congregational-led church, mm-hmm. so every congregation makes up their own doctrine, which oh. is not really a bit great messy. idea. <laughs> <laughs> and so TCU comes out of that um, really? denomination. Of Disciples Christian, of Christ? Christian church, too, right? Didn't they form or merge? That, well, they're called Christian church, church. There Disciples we go. of Christ. There we go. So I just refer to them yeah. as Disciples of Christ. Christ. Oh, okay. But yeah. TCU, I thought TCU came from Church of Christ, actually. No. no. Christian no, church. The, so the liberal wing is Disciples of Christ or yeah. Christian church, and the Church huh. of Christ is the um, more conservative wing. So TCU, unfortunately, is the more liberal wing. And now they're not even... <laughs> associated with the Christian church. No, TCU's they still are. are. They still are. So um, TCU is always, they, they have on their board, 30% of them have to be disciples of Christ. Hmm. So. Well. They're well not, how they're, that plays out as a college looks yeah, different, right? I don't know but. that they're influencing a lot. <laughs> um, or we won't go there. Maybe they <laughs> We won't so, touch that. We'll Greg grew up uh, church of Christian church. And right. his joke is always, we should be taking communion every week because y'all would take communion every week. And every he's week. like, it's not a Christian church unless you take communion every week. Yeah. So his expectation of every church who says they're a Christian Absolutely. church should be. You should be doing communion every week. <laughs> That's interesting. So yeah, it's it's communion every week, but it's also an Old Testament, New Testament scripture read mm-hmm. every week. Mm-hmm. And so I really did learn the Bible. Being five years old, I sat by myself in church because my dad has to sit on the front row being an elder to serve communion. My mom sat in the choir loft, so I sat by myself. And <gasps> wow. I started reading the Bible early on. Because I would take the passage that that they read in church and just kind of read it in context because mm. I was so bored. So would you? Would your mom ever <laughs> evil eye you from the choir oh, loft? I was the worst kid. I I can remember my mom coming out of the choir loft in the middle of church to correct me. Uh, and then one Sunday, I can remember my dad had to leave the front row to take me out of the church to, of course, get a spanking. Mm-hmm. So. Oh, back in the days of uh, the spankings. Lots of spankings. For me. I, every Sunday, I probably got a spanking. Oh. Uh, that's not an exaggeration. I was a 
terrible kid. <laughs> well, but like, what did that mean for you with like, how did you dread going to church then? Cause you were like, I'm going to mess up and get a spanking. I just no, know it. Or was it just, just a part of your life? It was just life? part of life. It was just, you know, Hey, I had a stage and, and, and that, that was, was <laughs> I was going to have fun and then pay the consequences. That, that's what I remember thinking. Wow. So. That's a good, that's a kid. That's a normal kid right yeah. there for many. Well, certain yeah. personalities. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. You know, My sister, yeah. who's four years older, was just the perfect child, never got in trouble. And for some reason, we didn't sit together. Yeah. So. And you don't remember why? No. <laughs> She's like, I'm not associated with that. Yeah. Uh-huh. I'm sitting uh-huh. somewhere else. I don't, I don't know if she ever got in trouble. So <laughs> that's awesome. awesome. So, what would you say? Like, was your was it turning? You talk about rebellious years in your middle and high school. Where was the yeah. turning point then for you? Where that ended, and you're like, I'm truly giving my life to Jesus here. I want this to look different. That really happened at TCU. So, okay. um, got to TCU and was really uh, just just alone. Just didn't know anyone at TCU. I was the only person from Mississippi who went to TCU that I was aware of didn't know anyone, wasn't really um, knowing where, where God was leading me, or at that time where I was leading myself, and um, ended up trying to find my place, went to a lot of different things, wasn't really connected to a church, and somebody invited me to a Christian fraternity meeting, so Brothers Under Christ, and at that meeting, the first one, the they had a guest speaker who kind of came in and explained the gospel, said, you know, Jesus Christ died for your sins, but he mm-hmm. did so to give that to you freely. And he said, if you don't know if you're going to heaven tonight, come out into the hall and let's talk about it. And I was like, I'm 80% sure I'm good. And I didn't do anything. And then he asked it again. And I'm like, I'm maybe, maybe I'm- 70% <laughs> good. And he asked the third time. And so long story short, I ended up standing up and there was like 120 guys in the room and I think like 30 or 40 of us stood up just unsure of our salvation. Wow. And they broke us down into small groups, shared um, grace with us one more time, and just kind of said, you can be 100% sure all the rest of your life because of not what you're doing or who you are, but because of who he is. And um, that made sense to me. So I started that night... Um, you know, just really dedicating every moment of my life to following Jesus and allowing him to be the king of my life. And the next week, the fraternity, so a little bit about the Christian fraternity, it was brand new. There was only two of them in existence, started at UT, and then... Because now they're everywhere. Now they're everywhere. I think there's 35 bucks, Brothers Under Christ. And uh, But at the time, so this is um, 1991, Mm -hmm. and at the time, there was only UT and there was only TCU and TCU was only four years old and so the founders were still the seniors and they there was 60 people I believe in the entire fraternity and I think our freshman class was like 120 or it was 60 and 60 and we made it to 120 Mm -hmm. but it doubled overnight I mean no matter what the numbers were and they were basically looking for anyone who had ever read the Bible to lead small groups because they couldn't handle <laughs> the, the new the numbers. Oh, it was just overwhelming for them. And so I was like, I read the Bible once. Mm. Like, I could do this. Hence, this is the discipleship this at 18. Is, this is the discipleship. Okay. And so I started uh, being a small group leader for Bucks uh, the next week after really rededicating my life to Christ because I, I believe I was truly saved at eight years old when I was baptized and and really understood salvation, just didn't live like it until I was 18. And um, yeah, started the next week leading a Bible study and took on some leadership roles. And then the next year I became an officer and took on more leadership roles. I began to oversee what we called cell groups at the time. Mm -hmm. And so that was, I was 18 years old, freshman year, and I'm leading 120 guys or so mm-hmm. in in Bible study. They should have never allowed me to do that. But <laughs> God had a different plan, so mm-hmm. he protected all of us, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> well, college can be like that, though, a little yeah. bit. A little bit like the blind leading the blind. Exactly right. You know? Um, so from there, from TCU, you graduate and go what and so you're saying you've great it sounds like you grew a lot in college then i that grew was tremendously yeah. so uh, let me dive into tcu just a little bit so um i was at tcu not knowing where i was going to study or where i was going to go my parents grew up in a generation that really was like it doesn't matter what you study just get the degree and mm-hmm. you find your job later and so talking with 
different people, counselors, different things, they said, hey, you love kids, you um, love the science, but you also love people. Why don't you go and be a speech language pathologist? And I said, I don't know what that is. And so they kind of explained it to me like, oh, you, you help kids with speech impediments or language disorders. And um, really, it's, it's, you know, eight to three, and, and you really don't work that hard. And uh, <laughs> totally lied, totally undersold it. And so I got into the science my sophomore year, loved it, got into one on one situation my junior year. So you're working with actual clients. So yeah. I, ha- I remember I had a little four year, four or five year old boy who stuttered with S's, mm. and I had a 16 year old kid who had a language disorder. And so we would read Sports Illustrated for an hour every week. And I was in this four by four box with a mirror, knowing that there's a professor on the other side watching me. And I thought I was torturing children. I I really felt like it was the worst thing in the world. Yeah. And I hated it. So I, I ended my junior year and I remember coming back to school and going, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Sat down with a teacher and um, she said, she listened to me, she was awesome. And she just goes, you are one hour away from graduating with this degree. And I said, I'm gonna be a speech pathologist. <laughs> I am <laughs> yeah. not starting over my senior year. <laughs> and she said, try audiology. And so a little unknown fact or, or a little forgotten fact about me sometimes is I got into audiology and was thinking, okay, I'll do a career in audiology since I have all the background. And I am um, profoundly deaf in my right ear. And so I got into audiology and they were like, uh, for the rest of your life, you're going to only use one ear when you're testing equipment and you're doing stuff. This Mm. is long before computers and and, uh, the whole thing. It's totally different field now. I should have stuck with it, but I was like, I can't do this either. So I graduated with speech pathology and had no idea what I was going to do. Again, going back to sophomore year, I started volunteering at my church. I got involved Mm -hmm. in Young Life. I got involved with Campus Crusade. I was doing bucks. And so I was probably spending 40 hours a week on top of school just doing ministry. I was doing ministry every day. I was also an RA, so I had a lot of counseling opportunities there. And so when I graduated, I was being mentored by a guy and he said, hey, have you ever thought about doing ministry full-time? Have you ever thought about doing youth ministry specifically? And I was like, they get paid to do this? And he's like, yeah, people get paid to do this. <laughs> and so he knew a guy who needed a youth pastor. I went out and applied. And, and actually, um, my interview was sitting down with his family of seven And then he taking me to church that night and introducing me to the youth group. And so I had no idea any of that was coming. And the next week they hired me and I started being a youth And where was that? Was that in Fort Worth? That was in Alito. So at the time it was a small church. It was Trinity Bible Church. They had a vision for growing. I think they had 12 students in middle school and high school. And they were hiring a part-time youth pastor for 12 students. Uh, over three years, I got to watch it grow to, um, I think it was about 50 or 60 when I That's left. Awesome. So it was pretty, it was mm. a great learning experience. Did that for six months with my messed up theology. Something I also didn't say is I went to Catholic high school. So I was growing up disciples of Christ, going to a Catholic high school and then going to a Bible church in college. So my theology was (laughs) all over the map. And, uh, they were like, after about, yes, after six months, they, the elders came to me and said, you need to go to seminary. But what stood out to them? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I would like to know, at what point did you go? This is not right. That's my question. What were they, what were they looking at that they're like, we got to, um, so I was doing lots of fun um, lessons, mm-hmm. but like one of the things that I, so I, they allowed me to preach sometimes because I was part-time, but the senior pastor was actually only three quarters time. So it was a very small church. I mm-hmm. think it was 250 to 500 by the time I left. And um, they allowed me to preach every time. And one of the things one of the elders pointed out to me after my first or second sermon was, you know, you don't say the word Jesus, you only say God. Because I'd grown up in tradition that doesn't talk about Jesus, it Mm. talked about God. Mm. And so that kind of started the conversation of going like, okay, well, what else is he teaching our kids? And I was doing a lot of fun stuff, a Mm. lot of very um, 
you know, fun kind of anacronyms. I remember one I had called SMAC, and it was Scripture, Memorization, Accountability, Confession, and then I forget what the K was. But, like, that was my um, five-week sermon series for the students. And whatever whatever K was, like, oh, K was Karma. That's what it was. Oh! <laughs> so that's the one, that's that the one that sent me to a seminary. <laughs> You got to the principal's like, office on that one. <laughs> scripture, confession, accountability, or memorization, accountability, confession, and karma. karma. Tell us about that, Dave Fuquay. And uh, I didn't have a great answer, to be honest. You're like, it so, went with the K. I needed a K word. Smack. I mean, we're gonna... so anyway, they um, they they were like, you need to go to seminary, and you need to run to seminary. And all the people who influenced me had gone to Dallas Theological Seminary. And so I actually, living in Alito, drove an hour and a half to Dallas mm. twice a week in order to go to DTS and then working in Alito. So how did you take that? Like, the, the, there was an element of correction there, but there was an element of, you knew they loved you. It's a huge correction. It's not an element. It was <laughs> it all was all correction. correction. Uh, I really, I mean, so my testimony uh, in ministry, and I, and I really just give credit to Jesus because I've been in ministry since been paid since 95 mm-hmm. i mean so it's been a long ministry life has just been one faithful step at a time it has been when god opens the door and i feel like this is what he's calling me to do i just walk through that door so i never had the vision of being a full-time pastor i never had the vision of doing something important in ministry i just took one faithful step mm-hmm. at a time and so honestly i had that vision even at 22 of just like oh this is the step that god is opening up this is the next step that he wants me to take so i will take it and i went into dts believing that i would be a youth pastor for three or four years and then i would go and do something else um and that is not, not what with, god mm-hmm. had planned no. <laughs> well and that so, elder that spoke truth to you mm-hmm. I mean, do you still stay in contact with that elder? Do you, I mean, do you ever look back and go, that was like a pivotal moment in your life on being where you're at today, but living in the truth, walking in knowledge yeah. that the Bible calls us to walk in? We were in contact for a really long time. His name is uh, Phil, and he's actually a state representative oh. in Parker County. So oh, he's cool. uh, he's in government now. He was a lawyer at the time. And uh, so, no, we don't have a ton of contact yeah. now. He is he's extremely busy. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, still all those people who had influence mm-hmm. in my life. I actually lived with another elder, and so they really just loved on me well. They really just took care of me That's well. Awesome. So That is. Yeah. So And so how long did it take you to get through? Like, seminary is, I don't know, you have both been. I have not been. <laughs> I have a regular old master's degree, not from a seminary, but... The people, I, I mean, seminary is no joke. I mean, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of work. It's a yeah. lot of study. And you have so a I job. Went in, and... I went to DTS originally for counseling. I was going to be one of the first graduating classes with their brand new biblical counseling, counseling degree. degree. Yeah. And uh, Lucy Mayberry, who uh, I think has passed on now, but mm-hmm. I sat down with her after first year and she was asking me all the appropriate questions of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And she just made a comment of like, well, you have to help people discover what God wants for themselves. And I said, I don't really like that idea. <laughs> I want to be able to tell them. Yeah, I want to tell them. And she goes, you know, with, with a lot of love and a lot of sincerity, she goes, I don't think you're cut out to be a counselor. I think you're more of a disciple maker, mm. and you probably need to think about that. Almost like a teacher, right? Yeah, you're more teacher, exactly. Yeah. So I got out of counseling, and again, not thinking I was going to do this for the rest of my life, just took the Master's of Biblical Studies. I said, I need to know the Bible better, so I will get the lowest degree that at that time DTS offered. So it took. it's a two-year degree. It took me three and so okay. I was out in three. That's, and then two year degree. I'm so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. back in the day, you could just go Tuesday, Thursdays, and get all of your classes done yeah. too. Oh, I know wow. that changed my my last year at DTS. They made it to where you had to go more than more. two days a week. Well, just the sheer number of hours I've seen in their program now yeah. is more than most. It's like master. Yeah, it's so many. Yeah. Um, so 
Anyway, yeah. but then okay. So after DTS, you after so I got what, married. What's the next step? Um, uh, during, oh, yes, you're you are married to Michelle. I we can't leave her Michelle, out. That's mm-hmm. right. So. Um, no, you can't just say you got married. How'd y'all meet? What? So we like all the good so stuff. So I was, as I, I, part of my um, contract for working for Alito Trinity Bible Church, I said, hey, I want to keep doing Young Life because my roommate was on Young Life staff and he needed somebody to, to kind of be funny and to do the skit guy. And so I said, hey, I want to keep doing this on the side, but I, I won't neglect the youth ministry. And they graciously let me do that. And so I began running a team, uh, a club, basically, called Western Hills on the west side of Fort Worth. And one of the people on my team was Michelle's roommate. Mm. And so when I um, dropped her off one day uh, after club, I saw Michelle and I said, there's a woman of character. <laughs> I uh, I want to get to know her. <laughs> and uh Called her up, cold called her, and, and I knew both, both of her roommates, and she thought I was calling for one of them. She treated me poorly. <laughs> and so I, I said, hey, let's go on a date. And I think guilt or shame because of the way she treated me on the phone, she said yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we went on a blind date kind of, and it was great. And so, but both of her roommates who knew me said it will last one date. You will never see him again. And uh, that was 25 years ago. Wow. So, <laughs> we stay together for spite now. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's awesome. And you, so you dated, got married. So 25 yeah. years anniversary this year. 23. So 23. we dated for two oh, years. I yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Dated okay. for two. Okay. Right. Okay. So, yeah. So we were dating um, my, her senior year and my graduation from DTS was the same year, month. And so we got married just a couple of weeks before hmm. we both graduated and so that was 1999. Okay. And, um, yeah. And then you great. went to it. So did you stay at Alito Trinity or did no, you move so to a different church? They knew I was getting married and had not grown enough to hire two full-time people. Mm-hmm. So my last year, the guy who mentored me in college, his name's John Sherman, uh, actually was looking for a senior pastor position we were able to hire a senior pastor position. So I, I offered him up and said, Hey, you guys should check on him. And they hired him and he's still there, which is awesome. Wow. And so he's been there 23 years, I know, because that's how long I've been married. <laughs> that's right. So his last, his first Sunday was my last Sunday because they couldn't hire both people. Uh, and yeah. so I had gotten a job in San Antonio as a youth pastor and stayed there, I want to say, five and a half years. Uh, in San Antonio, and then you want me to keep going on that? Yeah, just okay, keep yeah, going yeah. to the next spot. So, I'm like, no, I'm bored. Let's try yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to know about others, but that's fine. But uh, so San Antonio, I was a youth pastor five and a half years, huge ministry, is like 350 uh, kids. And um, through that process, I spent, found myself spending more time with adults than I did with the kids. I had 40 volunteers that I was training, investing in. And someone said, you should go back to seminary and minister to adults. And so I did. I went back to seminary and got the languages because I felt very inadequate without knowing Mm -hmm. Greek and Hebrew. Spent a year at Fort Lauderdale at a small seminary called Knox Theological Seminary, which if you're theologically inclined, you know that DTS is very dispensationalist. Knox is on the other side of the spectrum being (laughs) reformed. And very so you're back staunch. to the buffet. Back to the buffet. <laughs> and then did that, did 40 hours at Knox in one year, got burned out, and then transferred to New Orleans Baptist Theological mm. Seminary to finish up that degree. So I have a Master's of Divinity from there. And are they somewhere in the middle? They are. They're yeah. completely in the middle. And we moved there two months before Katrina hit. Oh. So we were there oh. for Katrina. I had a full-time job and was supposed to go to school part-time. Um, I can still remember a mm-hmm. month or so after Katrina hit, the senior pastor walked in and said, your job just changed. You are now the pastor of disaster relief. <laughs> oh, so which you did. would have to have someone yeah. fully dedicated to that back at that and time. And there was just two of us. And, and so I was the, hired as the discipleship guy, mm-hmm. and now I'm going to do discipleship disaster relief. We had an incredible volunteer um, that really helped do most of the work, to be honest. <laughs> 
and uh, we had a house. This is kind of a cool short story, but we had somebody, because of my DTS connection, um, he was looking on the alumni page for people who lived in New Orleans. He found my name, and he was a pastor in New Hampshire, and he said across the street is a Votech school, and they build modular houses every year as their senior project. He goes, if we could get it down to you, could you give a house away? Aww. And I was like, yeah, we could do that. We could do like 20 of them. Yeah. So he, their senior project was to give this, to build this house Aww. for somebody who's affected mm. by Katrina. My job was to find the right applicant. And that was probably the, what honestly doomed my stay in New Orleans was because we got over 100 applicants um, for this house. And it was like, oh, your story's terrible, but this story is worse. And, uh, oh, here's another one. This is worse. So people we ended up giving the, the house to had um, lost their house, lost their job, um, had twin girls and a son, and were living in the camper in the front yard of their destroyed house. One of the girls happened to have uh, be blind mm-hmm. in, in one eye, they only had candles. She knocked the candle over, <gasps> burned their camper down to the ground. Oh my gosh! And so no job, two kids, you know, of three course. kids living yeah. with them, all these things. And so it was just worst story after worst story. So thankful they got the house, but that was kind of the the beginning of the end mm. of going. Man, emotionally, I cannot. Just because this. it took a toll on you, took You're, a not because they toll. didn't want you, because that no, was right, you right. It, it was but just more just the toll just living of it. in that area. I mean, New Orleans had uh, half a million people, and overnight went to two hundred fifty thousand people. And so just living in the bayou and living in that area. And friends leaving uh, too. So a lot of people like that needed support, a lot of their friends had to move, had to leave. What about you guys? Was your house affected or? No. So we lost a fence. We lost two shingles on the roof. Oh, wow. We lost a playground, which was not a big deal. Um, But really, and a broken window. And so I think it was about $7,000 worth of damage. But other than that, I mean, we were golden. We didn't have... Uh, electricity for almost a month and we couldn't get meat for three yeah. weeks but yeah. um but yeah wow, we were pretty okay. good. That's good we were great yeah. so did you stay in the house through that time when you didn't have like no so we went stuff? to my parents still lived in mississippi we okay. stayed with them for two weeks and then my dad and i went down with a generator and then we kind of moved back in okay. after two weeks but we had to um, avoid the national guard at that time because they had all the major roads blocked we're not letting people down into that area um, and so we had to take some back roads and and get to my house just to even check on it no cell service right at the time all the cell towers are down all yeah. the cell towers yep. are down so we didn't know if we had a house didn't know if i had a church and uh, the church survived, and the, the house survived. Mm. Tornadoes were a big problem in my little town uh. um, because we had a levee system, but um, nobody got flooded in my mm. little little cutoff. Was cutoff Louisiana was the oh, wow. town it was in. Okay. So. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I didn't know you were Katrina. That that's new information. Yep. New information. Yep. See, we're learning something new. Mm-hmm. So then, um, been in ministry a long time. Yep. What is the thing you love most about ministry? Because then you're, I mean, we don't have time to go through every stop, but after sure. after New Orleans, you end up in so Dallas. New Orleans, and well, New Orleans, I went to New Jersey, uh-huh. and uh, I was part of a multi-site church there. I was hired as a discipleship guy, and then there was a church plant or split, depending on which side of the oh. aisle you were on. <laughs> so and true. so um, I ended up becoming the executive pastor of what we called the mothership of the um, mm. one that stayed. And so after doing that for a while, I did get a call from Dallas, and they needed a discipleship guy. So I came down to Dallas and was at uh, Northwest Bible Church for, um, for many, many years. And um, and then their executive pastor left, so I was exploring those opportunities, mm-hmm. and then that's what led me me here. Well, I've so. got a call here. So okay. you talk about moving all these different places. Yep. Where's Michelle in this? Is she like, let's go, honey? This is so fun. Good question. I'm so excited. I can um, do it again. Or is Michelle she like, seriously, is, uh, the Lord's really calling you to <laughs> New Jersey? Where, I, do you have to say yes every time? every time? 
Michelle is incredible. I mean, she has an amazing heart. She has much larger faith than I do. Actually, mm. she's a much better prayer person than I am. And so she's always been 100% supportive. Um, I would say New, New Jersey was extremely hard on her. I would say Louisiana was also extremely hard on her. And so those are both opportunities where, you know, when the knock came, she was like, Yes. Let's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's let's true. Do that. Yes. I think San Antonio, we had two little kids and we were moving close to her parents and mm. she was from Miami and I was, I was going to school in Fort Lauderdale. So I think that was an easy, um, move for her. I mm-hmm. think moving to Louisiana was hard. Moving away from Louisiana to New Jersey was actually a great thing. Yes. But then the cold winters being a Miami oh, girl, yeah. that was hard. So she's been, she's been awesome. It's awesome. So, and your kids, um, I guess you didn't, your kids were San Antonio and then moving up here, right? right. So they've just been in Texas. They pretty much, Texas is their state then. So two kids were born in, in Texas. One was born in New Jersey. And we moved from New Jersey when my oldest was moving from fifth grade to sixth grade. Okay. So it was perfect. Yeah. Um, so they, they were going to have to go to a new school anyway and be in middle school and all that. And so, yeah, it's been, it's been great. The mm-hmm. kids have been extremely resilient and... Um, yeah, they've done really well. That's so, so you have two in college now? Two in college, right. Yeah. And, and I just want to make sure everybody understands, I don't move that much. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's 35 years yes. of moves. That's good. <laughs> I mean, that's good to clarify. That's good to clarify. Absolutely. That's true. We're spinning through this information yeah, very quickly. It's, no. like that's, very we quickly. were there a long time. Yeah. But yeah, so I have two in college. Uh, I have one who's becoming a junior at uh, University of Oklahoma, one that's a sophomore at the University of Arkansas, and then, of course, a seventh grader. Yeah, so she's going to be home. We were just talking about that before we started the podcast, how yeah. you've got one left um, on their own. and Six more years in yeah, the house. Yeah, so they either like all the undivided attention or they don't. Yeah. <laughs> she's pretty busy. Yes, so, so she's in volleyball, she's in softball, uh, she wants to do choir, she's very creative and also athletic, so she awesome. keeps herself real busy. There you go. Because I mean, she doesn't want the attention at home. Right, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to just fill my time That's with right. Nothing do. wrong with that, girl. <laughs> Nothing wrong. Right. I love it. So what do you, um, you've been in ministry now a long time. This yep. was the question we talked about earlier. What do you love the most about ministry? What are you, what are you grateful for and what do you you're like you like go oh i'm so glad god called me to ministry because i love this yeah i think the thing that keeps me going is seeing life transformation and i think this is really uh hard for a lot of ministry a lot of what we do is really hard to see transformation right because it's kind of like eating your vegetables it's like you're doing something slow and methodical Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit over time and as you look back you know that it mattered But in the moment, you don't think that every meal matters, right? And so it's kind of like, well, if I didn't eat those meals, I would not be alive right Mm -hmm. now. But every meal doesn't really make this impact in your memory or make this impact in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. So when I get to see those life transformations and there's this moment of clicking Mm -hmm. in someone's mind and I can just kind of see that in their face, um, that's what keeps me going. I'll tell a quick story, the, the most vivid one over the last several years is a guy uh, was on a business trip and uh, was celebrating the end of his business trip and he actually ended up getting a DUI on the business trip because he, he had had a couple of beers and um, in that DUI he, they discovered him because he hit an ambulance so this is a bad story right and so he ends up coming back he was newly married he was in his 20s I think and um, he was like, I lost my job. I mm-hmm. am facing criminal charges in DUI uh, in California, nonetheless, which is one of the strictest laws for drunk driving. And he's like, I'm going to jail. And I said, okay, uh, let's take the next 10 weeks and I'm going to prepare you for jail. And so we met every Wednesday night and I thought he was really going to jail and I was yeah. just trying to help him with his faith in order to survive that and hopefully his marriage survived that um and the life transformation that jesus allowed this person who was just broken and hurting to watch that over the time we spent together i mean that Mm -hmm. keeps me fueled even today to think about that's something the holy spirit can do when somebody is open and willing 
to follow Christ with all of their life if they fully dedicate themselves because he he had nowhere to go and and he was just looking for Jesus mm-hmm. to take over and so anyway so that those are the kind of stories that throughout my life there's probably you know five or six different stories like that that just keep me fueled for years and years of saying there was a moment or there was a season where this person's life was radically different because of the Holy Spirit, mm. and I got to witness it. Yeah, that's so. cool. Did he go to jail? Yeah, I was he like, we need to follow oh, up with the to, jail. You want to do this follow-up story? Of course. So, no, actually, uh, he got he stopped drinking completely. And again, this guy was not... This, here's something important, I think, for the listeners. This guy had simply had three beers, and I challenged him on that so many times. Mm. But over a two- or three-hour period, he had had three beers. He hit the ambulance. He would have hit it even if he was stone-cold sober, I think. And um, so he wasn't an alcoholic, but he just said, if this is uh, what alcohol is going to do for me, I'm going to completely stop drinking. Mm. I'm going to completely change my life around. And he was just a great guy that made a horrible, horrible Mm. mistake by even having what he he felt like was something he could handle. The law felt different. Mm. And so he did not end up going to jail. He was on probation for many years. And, um, yeah. So still a horrible situation where he lost his job. He paid huge amount of fines mm-hmm. and really um, just learned a lot through it. Yeah. So thankfully he didn't. And during that time, they had, had some babies and oh, stayed good. married, and he got another job and moved out of Dallas. And But just an incredible guy. Wow. So. Yeah, that's all. I mean, yeah, that's an amazing story. The transformation stories, I think, are cool, but they almost always happen in those kind of individual situations, yes, this whole kind of revival feel. A lot of times we feel like we need to have with church, right? Where you right. have the massive crowds or whatever. I don't know. I feel like you witness it better with that spark when it's just one-on-one, one-on-one discipleship. But just like, you know, as I was saying, like eating your vegetables or mm-hmm. if you're exercising, it's the daily exercise. It's mm-hmm. not this massive thing. Yeah. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the effort over a long period mm-hmm. of time in order to experience these one-time life transformation. I mean, we can all probably think of our favorite meal, but if we don't have all the other meals Mm -hmm. that lead up to that, you don't get to experience that favorite. Mm -hmm. And so you really, I I tell ministers all the time, um, you have to stay in it for the long haul. It's the longevity of your life and the longevity of Mm -hmm. being faithful over time that you're going to see the most impact from not these big splash speaking engagements and and revival type issues it's really going to be being faithful behind Mm -hmm. the scenes that allows you to see revival that allows you to have these big splashes the discipline that's why it's called a discipline Discipline. spiritual disciplines so the thing about ministry you find to be the hardest Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, just personality wise, I hate relational conflict. I feel like I've got to, um, you know, squash that really quick. Like I, I want short accounts and in ministry, that's the hardest is there's just a lot of relational conflict, whether it's directly I'm in the middle of it, or if it's just kind of on the peripheral, the most important thing, I think this is true for discipleship. And I think it's true for staff is unity. I think the Bible over and over again calls us to fight for unity. You don't have to fight for your own opinion. That comes naturally. You don't have to fight to be separate. That comes naturally. You have to fight. You have to desire to want to mm-hmm. be together. And the biggest obstacle to that is that interrelational conflict. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably my biggest frustration of just going, can we not just all get along? <laughs> I mean, let it go. Be graceful and so. Move how do you on. fight? Okay, so here's. So can I push so you good. a little bit? That's I good. I know it's good, but can I put? Can I ask Absolutely. a couple questions? Okay. So I, I expect you not nothing a, less. Are you Are you going to disagree? Where are you going to go with this? Okay. Well, we'll see. I don't know where it's going to go yet. Um. So you say you fight for unity, but right. quashing sometimes just is not. Are you saying those two are synonymous? Like Wait, you're you saying, mean? like you hate. Like the interpersonal conflict, you tend to you tend to quash that quickly. Well, so is say, that what you say? You say quash or squash? Squash, squash. Thank you. It's both the same. Sorry, I was in England for a long <laughs> like, time. I can't They're get over the quash same thing. right now. Yeah, quash is like a drink. <laughs> but. Uh, I think I just talked about the DUI. I don't. 
<laughs> no, uh, not that kind of drink. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So confused. It's like Kool-Aid. I know. Just keep moving forward. We go, okay. keep moving forward. forward. Right. We go disregard. everywhere. All right. So, so when I'm saying squash, <laughs> when I'm saying I get involved in that, when I really want to um, deal with that, I'm not necessarily meaning um, the interpersonal conflict can actually lead to unity when you address it. It's when you don't and you allow it to fester. The problem for me is it's not when you address it, it's not always resolved quickly. Mm -hmm. It doesn't always yes. lead to a positive outcome. And so there's the frustration in ministry is kind of dealing with it and going, okay, Because it can where be slow this, moving too. It, very it can slow be moving. slow moving discipleship So as I well. do think they're on opposite sides in the sense that if you don't address pride, if you don't address interrelational conflict, if you don't address gossip, then those are the things that will erode unity. But all of those things, when addressed properly and biblically, can lead to unity. Mm -hmm. So you're saying, so, because when I hear squash something, I hear just... Tamp it down. Exactly. No, no, no. Cut I'm it out. You, you just mean address it. it. Yeah. You just address mean don't let it sit there. in a there. healthy way and have clear expectations and clear boundaries moving okay. forward. And so, no, I, I definitely not, um, I'm not the kind of guy that just wants to avoid it or... or uh, ignore it. So I really how do you do that do well in the church as a whole? Like you've, we've got staff, right? And we all work closer together. Right. Um, and then you have in our church, we have committees, you know, other, right. other churches have elder boards. Or, so, and then past though that circle, you have the wider circle of the church as a whole. Right. Um, and in that wider circle, you have life groups, right? Um, who all do. So how would you, how do you deal with conflict between members that right. are not people that you know, report to you on a staff, but they're maybe members of the church. Yeah. So the, yeah, you, you laid out the circles of authority pretty well. And I think the first thing you have to do is empower the life group leader in this setting to address the conflict. If it's with the life group leader, then you have to take it to a committee or a deacon board or, or whoever is kind of the next level staff members. And then obviously getting personally involved and so that's Matthew 18. That That's really saying, hey, I'm going to go to a brother. If the brother doesn't hear me, I'm going to take somebody with me. I'm going to keep pushing it up until it's resolved because the, whole, the heart of Matthew 18 is reconciliation. And that's really what I'm talking about with addressing those issues is we have to reconcile in order to have unity. And so you just keep circling the tree sometimes. You just keep addressing it until it's resolved. So. Hmm. That's and so you would you have more thoughts, don't ahead. you, Debbie? Yeah, I'd, yeah one more, yeah, just one. That's good. That's good. Her mind was so, like, oh, sorry, that's not enough. I need a little. Yeah, more. exactly. Yeah. So Matthew, people bring up Matthew eighteen all the time. Sure, right. Um, Which is interesting because Matthew nineteen's divorce, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, God doesn't do anything by accident, and you know, and so then. I guess my one my thoughts on Matthew 18 and just how often the church brings that up as a way to address issues with a brother mm -hmm. is also wondering how that exists well with a power structure and authority structure in the sense of you could be talking to someone that isn't your peer as a mm -hmm. brother. He's someone who actually has authority. So right. then are you example, going more to Peter? Like give us an example. Oh, for example, Pat Chuck. I mean, not like a real life, but like okay. a hypothetical, like with maybe title, like life group oh. member, life group leader. Yeah. Or what okay. Are you I'll give about? you an example, like a life group leader who maybe has authority over the life group and a member of the life group is struggling with something with that life group leader. Right. right? So you can address that individually. Right. Right. Um, and so the, I would see even that power struggle is a gentle one. It's more of a dotted line. Mm -hmm. But what if it's someone, and we'll use a different authority like Chuck, who's right. a pastor, and now we have people who report to him who could be three or four down or a member of the church. There's a great deal more right. authority there. And I would say the Southern Baptist Convention has gotten in trouble by bringing out Matthew 18 too much when it doesn't apply right. when you're talking about something authority. That's more of a Peter thing, right? Where he says, hey, put this out in the open. If your authorities are misusing their authority and they're saying, you know, they're not letting you speak up, that's yeah. wrong. Right. Yeah. So what's I mean, the difference? Like, how do you distinction? Yeah. Yeah. I know. But there's, it's minutes. an important distinction, though. Those are two very different well, things. Well, the, the one thing I would push in on that you said is when Matthew 18 doesn't apply. 
and I, and I disagree. You I, think it applies to everyone? I think it applies to everyone in this sense that you should always go to someone who has sinned against you and tell them they sinned against you. First. That should be the first step every single time. Because Chuck doesn't get into his position. Leaders don't get into their positions without recognizing that we are servant leaders who have to lead with humility. And so what happens, you brought up the Southern Baptist Convention, what happens is arrogance and pride seeps in. The loss of the idea of being a servant leader gets completely discarded and you begin to lean on the authority rather than to lean on the fact that I'm an ambassador for Mm. Christ, I'm the representative of Jesus on earth, and it is his church, not my church. That's what gets lost, not Matthew 18 doesn't apply, it's our own sin and pride gets applied. Now the Bible, as you pointed out, clearly has steps for that also, but the first step, I believe, is always going to someone if they don't hear you, taking someone with you, and then if you feel like, okay, this person's not just not hearing me, they're actually being more sinful in their reaction to this, then that's the public part. That's the part where you have to pull in different scriptures and say, okay, I feel like I've done this well, mm-hmm. and I've checked my own heart, I've looked for my own log in my eye, and I'm approaching this brother with... Um, with love and compassion to t- try to reconcile, but also try to correct them in their path on Jesus. So anyway, that that's my point, is that it always applies. It's more of the idea of, well, when the person is not responding the way Matthew 18 asks us to respond, that's where you draw in other scriptures. Well, and this, this podcast is for women, right? So this is okay. a lot of women listening. Right. So I... Brother, general, general, (laughs) neutral. Yes. (laughs) But there is a line, though, when I would say, I think for men, it's easy to say it always applies. Mm -hmm. I think for women, if you're hurt in a certain situation, that especially by someone with authority, you're not going to go to that man in authority who has maybe done something particularly harmful. And you're not going to confront that man Right. In authority. Right. You're going to go to another authority. Is that part of the problem, though, is the person that's over that female is domineering because you keep using the word authority. Well, that's so they're not. That is where Matthew. That is where I feel like the church has taken Matthew 18 and run with it. In a way that, like, for a woman, if you're a, if you're a single woman in the church, for example, you're not married. Like, I feel like if if something were to happen and Chuck were to do something to me, for example, and I'm using, of course, we are all, all right. good friends. You know, you're if I know single, that, we're not way. saying no. I'm just, but I could have my husband with me, right? Right. But what if I'm a single woman, right? And I have felt hurt, particularly by a pastor in the church. I don't know that I go and I confront that pastor by myself. Mm. I get I, Do you get what, what I'm saying? saying? Yes. I, I like, hear what you're saying. I, I think that we have to carve out abusive situations, right? Because, so that is the line then you're saying that. Well, when it I think apply. that you treat abusive situations differently because that abuse is abuse, right? It's not, I sinned against you and I need to confront you about the sin. Abuse, there are consequences for your actions. There are, it's, it's almost a outside the normal reconciliation process because you're not talking about an offense necessarily you're talking about some type of destructive behavior or pattern so how do you know the difference person. like what how would you distinguish like if a woman's listening how does she know the difference between abuse and offense because i will say that a lot of women women have been because of how the church has spoken about this they feel mm-hmm. they don't feel like they're allowed to go outside and talk to someone apart from that relationship um, so how would they know the difference? Like, cause there's emotional abuse. There's sure. all kinds. Of, it's not just physical. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I think, um, I think even in Matthew 18, going to the person with someone else that's not in authority is still the right approach. So okay. if they want comfort, if they want support and they want another listening person, that's still the right first step. What I feel like, and I think we're looking at it two different ways, which is always healthy, I think, but where I have seen it gone awry 
is someone skipping the step and the person not realizing they made an offense. So we're not talking about an abusive situation. We're not talking about a situation who someone intentionally did something. We're talking about, oh, I didn't realize that that's how you perceive. Yeah, I hurt you. You perceived it that way. And suddenly someone's boss is coming to them and saying, hey, so-and-so came to me and they said, you've done this. And it becomes a whole not just for the churches today, it becomes a legal matter too. Yeah. You start to, as an executive pastor, I have to start a paper trail. I have to say, okay, there was this accusation and this is what happened. And so I'm going to mm-hmm. put this in a file if it ever comes up again. And so there are all those types of situations that, you know, I believe the first step is still going to the person who offended you. If you feel like you want to take someone, take someone who is with you, not someone who is over them. And I yeah. think that's oh, okay. the distinction, I would say. Who is your advocate that can come with you? That is always appropriate. I would always encourage that of have an advocate that is not a part of the hierarchy or the structure to be supportive of you as an individual, but and then you follow the authoritative mm-hmm. um, train. Okay, that makes sense. So we're talking about an offense that maybe happened in a conversation right. or some other means I don't like this decision that you made. It impacts me, you know, that kind of stuff. Correct. And then abuse is, Hey, this person intentionally hurt you. Right. Um, you do take that to a different place. You're saying that that isn't necessarily applicable with Matthew 18 in that situation. Well, and again, you you have to eventually get to the person. It's how you get to that person to address it. Because if someone is intentional, if someone is abusive, if someone is hurting other people, you have to address that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you address that with the person. The way you do about it, I think, is who approaches first, who does that. Yeah. And I would always say that scriptures always apply, right? Yeah. And so we have to figure out, okay, what is application of scripture and wisdom in this situation? And I think that's just so important like, because we have mistakenly, I feel like at times protected wolves in the church. Absolutely. And so how do you keep from doing that? Well, is an important, and I think what the Southern Baptist convention is revealing among other things is there's a difference between, I think what, what I have read through the lines is that there is a sense of, I have to protect the church and I have to protect, um, the bride of Christ. And so I'm going to protect this individual by, I'm going to protect the church by protecting this individual. I'm going to hide this information by, um, and that is somehow supposed to help me protect the church. Yeah, that's where it gets all messed up. We do not have to protect nope. individuals. We do not have to protect the church in the sense that the church is going to be here long after that's we're right. gone. <laughs> Jesus loves the church a yep. lot more than any of us. And so we don't protect the leaders of the church from the consequences of their sins. We have to treat the bride of Christ as the bride of Christ with honor and respect. But that doesn't mean you're not just open and public about it and That's you right. just bring it out. And so I think people have gotten it twisted thinking, mm-hmm. well, if I allow this leader to fail, then somehow the church locally and universally is going to be hurt. And we forget that, no, Jesus has the church. The, the leader needs to be called out. The leader needs to be yeah. held accountable. And letting a leader fail is a lot different than letting the bride of Christ fail. That's well said. That's really well said. Um, okay, we got off on a more serious yeah, tangent. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't help it. I had to just do some follow-up it questions. Was good. good question. Don't apologize. Um, it was good. Okay, good. All right, so we were, we've been talking for a while, which is awesome. Thank you for letting us just pepper with questions and all that kind of stuff, David. We appreciate it. We are going, we end with a lightning round of questions that Christy always does because mm-hmm. it's fun to hear. Um, so a little more lighthearted. That, yes, we end on a lighthearted <laughs> note. Quick things about you. Okay, so what is the last show that you binge watched and loved? TV show? Uh, we are in the middle of Victoria right now um, on Netflix or maybe it's on prime. I don't know what it's on. It's It's somewhere, some platform somewhere. Yeah. I love it. I think it's a lot of like that. And I'm waiting for the crown to come back. Are you a crown watcher? Jeez. My mom can't wait either. What is something that people often get wrong about you? Uh, I think most people find me intimidating. I don't feel like I'm intimidating, but I, I feel like I'm warm and fuzzy, but apparently I'm not. (laughs) 
So that's funny. Okay. <laughs> so what you're saying they get wrong about you is that you really are warm and fuzzy, and they I think try you're intimidating. Uh, yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm not a very objective person on that, but uh, I feel like I get that a lot. Of like, oh, he's not approachable. Maybe intimidating is different. So I'll say approachable. approachable. People think I'm not approachable. I'm actually very approachable. I listen to everyone. And I try to respond as Christ would respond. So. Good, very nice. Okay, what is your biggest pet peeve? People talking over me. People talking over you. Uh, like over when you're asking a question. Okay. Yes. Wait, That's good explain to know. that. <laughs> like when you're talking, you don't want anybody to interrupt you. Correct. So my wife oh. is something we didn't talk about. My wife is Cuban. And in Cuba and, and in that heritage, they talk all at the same time. Mm-hmm. It drove me insane. I would sit at a dinner table and there would be seven or eight people talking at the same time. And I would just sit there in silence. Uh-huh. So they thought I was rude or thought I was, you know, disconnected. But the reality is, is I just You were just like overwhelmed yeah. with the sheer yeah. amount of talking. When people interrupt one another, when you talk over one another, I, that is my biggest pet peeve by far. My family's part hey. Cuban then. There we go. <laughs> I know. My family are. on my side is. Uh-huh. Yes. 100%. <laughs> For sure. It's good to know now. Okay. The noisy narrative is about cutting through the noise and getting to the heart of the matter. What is your narrative right now? Fill in the blank. Blank narrative. I have no idea how to answer that question. It's a ponder <laughs> question. Where are you at in life right now? Like, what are you? Um, what What's are some the narrative running through your like your head? daily yeah your the, season? What season? season? What's your narrative mm-hmm. this season? You know, the season that I'm fully involved in right now is uh, another thing we weren't able to talk about is I'm getting my MBA. So I am a. Are you really? I am getting my master's of business administration. Okay, so this will be your third degree, fourth degree. What is be this? By third master, fourth degree. Fourth degree. Yeah. Wow. He's an so, academic. He, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I think that I'm a college student, and I have two college students, and so I feel like the narrative that runs through my my heart and mind right now is just what is God teaching me through these different educational systems but then also i'm in a brand new job what is god teaching me through the job what is god teaching me through parenting and marriage and all that kind of stuff so that's kind of my narrative right now is i'm in a learning phase so the learning narrative or the what is fill in the blank narrative what's next i need one word david just one word learning Learning. thank you okay that fits better that makes me happy so you are a ghost at your funeral what do you hope people say about you you cannot say that you're a good and faithful servant and that you love Jesus. Because okay. we know that already. Can we talk about the ghost thing? Because no, I we're think just there's some theology just there. Keep going. Okay. We're just going to ignore that. You're just right, hovering no over okay. however you have it. You're watching and Jesus is letting you listen. Yeah. I'm, I'm better for that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do I want people to say? I, I want to know that I made an impact. I want to know that uh, I made a difference, that my life um, mattered to people and not matter to legacies as far as Mm -hmm. institutions and stuff. I hope that's true also, but I want to know that people stood up and said, uh, you know, the guy I talked about earlier, I want Mm -hmm. him to stand at my funeral and to say, without him, I don't know where I would be Mm. and to make an impact. So. That's good. That's that tender is. and sweet. sweet. Thank you. See, See you, you are, are soft and cuddly and we warm must have, and fuzzy. You are warm and gooey <laughs> on the inside. Deep, deep down. Yes. Prove that. Just That's takes awesome. an hour long podcast to That's get right. there. There you go. It's no. like a blow pop. You have to. You have to keep going to get to the gum. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Exactly. That's awesome. Well, um, thank you so much for coming. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, awesome. Um, very much. We may be having you on to talk about other things. Let's talk other about Strengths like Finder and yes. books and all kinds of that stuff we didn't so get to. That would be so fun. That would be awesome. <laughs> okay, so until next time, that's it from us, everybody. This is Noisy Narratives Out. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Life can be amazing.